If you would, please open your Bibles with me to the book of the Psalms. Today we'll be looking at Psalm 140. We read in verse 1, Deliver me, O Lord, keep me from the evil man. Preserve me from the violent man. Deliver me, O Lord, from the evil man. Preserve me from the violent man. David knew, as we do, that we cannot deliver ourselves, much less preserve ourselves. You see, my friend, in of ourselves, we're utterly and completely helpless to deliver, keep, or preserve ourselves. We see here how that the Lord gave David this prayer, this heart cry by inspiration. And David did indeed have many malicious enemies who actually sought to kill him. In fact, his own father-in-law, Saul, who was king before David, actually took a javelin and tried to thrust it, thrust him through with it. David's own son, Absalom, turned against him. And his own wife, Michal, Saul's daughter, made fun of him. And so David did have many enemies, and the Lord did preserve and protect him. And he cried to the Lord for help and was heard and was delivered. We read there, beginning in verse 1. I've uh, just turned back a few Psalms, Psalm 121. This is uh, our brother's heart cry in prayer. Psalm 121, verse 1. I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills, from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. And so, beloved, the Lord will preserve us. Indeed, the Lord will keep us. And we can make a broader application to our portion by applying it to the greater David, the Lord Jesus Christ. For certain it is our Lord had many enemies. All those enemies who took counsel together of how they might destroy him. They gathered together against God's anointed, God's beloved, well-pleasing son, God's king. Pilate, Herod, the Jews, and the Gentiles, they all gathered together against him, against the Lord's Christ, to do whatsoever they wanted to. But they did what God determined before to be done. And we see in the glorious gospel of God how his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, ultimately was made to triumph over all his enemies, being raised from the dead, seated in the heavenlies at the right hand of the Father, when he by himself purged our sins, he sat down on the right hand of God, having accomplished all of our salvation. We read in Revelation, speaking of our Lord, it says there, And I saw and behold a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. And he did so. And when we read the blessed promise in Romans chapter 8, where the apostle writes, how that in all these things, in all these things, beloved, we have in Christ, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, or nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And we can say with the Apostle Paul, Thanks be to God, the Father, for the sure victory that we have in His Son, Christ Jesus, the Lord. Now, this morning, I want to look at this psalm in um, in this light, in this way. In in verse one of Psalm one hundred and forty, where we read about David praying for deliverance from the wicked man to be preserved from the evil man, from the violent man, from the proud man, from the, from the evil speaker. And then he talks about war. And notice as we read through this psalm, we keep coming back to this one thought, this uh, wicked man, 
this evil man, this old sinful Adam nature that we're plagued with. Beloved, can you not identify with these things in your own heart? With all the conflict and struggles of your own wicked, sinful flesh? The writer of Hebrews speaks about the sin which doth so easily beset us. That indwelling sin that distracts us and catches us off guard. I trust every believer gathered here this morning can identify with that. Remember what Paul said when they thought he was some kind of deity, some kind of God? He said, we also are men of like passions with you. We're just sinners like you. Beloved, what do you find to be the the greatest um, obstacle, the greatest hindrance to your prayers? Is is it not the own uh, your own sin? You know that sin of unbelief. I mean, when we think about our prayer life, the time that we spent alone with the Lord, Him that loved us and washed us of all our sins in His own blood. Well, certain it is our greatest hindrance to our prayers is our sinful, evil selves. I mean, how how often do we see God's well-pleasing Son, the God-man, going to a place alone to spend time alone and prayer all night to the Father? And you know, beloved, we don't know the first thing about that. I mean, I really don't. I mean, if I could pray for maybe um, a few minutes, well, that would be a blessing, would it not? But my sinful, evil, wicked self, my fallen fleshly nature is a great, great hindrance. And not only to prayer, but so too to worship. I mean, I would really like to worship without this uh, cadaver being with present with me, this this body of death where no good thing dwells just to worship one time in spirit and in truth and not be hindered so greatly because of this this sinful body of death. But beloved, one blessed day, one blessed day will do that without any hindrance of the flesh. And that's our desire, is it not? To praise the Lord, to worship Him, and yet in this time state, beloved, we're in this wretched, wicked flesh all the time. I mean, um, we we can't look down our nose at anybody, can we? Um, and I trust everyone in this auditorium who believes on the Lord Jesus Christ that you can enter into fe- feelingly and experientially with the, with the Apostle Paul when he says, Oh, wretched man that I am. Oh, miserable man that I am. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And then uh, he doesn't stay down too long, does he? <laughs> he goes right from that uh, to rejoicing thanking the Father for the one who shall deliver him, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in the beginning of Romans 8, verse 1, uh, uh, can you not enter into that rejoicing? (laughs) There is therefore now no condemnation, no wrath, no judgment to them that are in Christ Jesus, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit and God's Son. And so we see here in this psalm, we see this the self-righteous man um, can't identify with the experience of the Apostle Paul. Rather, he vainly thinks that he lives above sin. If they were in a Starbucks listening to two believers, if you were with another brother and you were just fellowshipping with him, talking about your experience, they would overhear you and think, I don't know the first thing about that. Well, the reason why you don't know the first thing about that is because as of yet, God has not put you in the light and the countenance of his well-pleasing son. But when he does that, beloved, when God loves us in the light of Christ, he shows us from the top of our head to the very bottom of our feet who and what we are. There's no uh, pretended sinners in God's church. That's That's for certain. Not in his invisible church. Maybe in the visible church for certain there are. Uh, the Apostle Paul writes there in 1 Corinthians 11, there must be heresies amongst you so, so that it may be made manifest who among you are accepted in the beloved. In effect, that's what he's writing there. But the self-righteous man, 
He can't identify with what the Apostle Paul says. The Apostle Paul, a sinner saved by God's undeserved grace, he, he says, O oh, wretched, miserable man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? You see, the self-righteous man can't identify with that. Rather, he vainly thinks that he lives above sin and that he doesn't have any battle or conflict of sin. Well, a man like that is just deceived, blind, and ignorant. You see, beloved, the only reason you know anything about sin is because that sinful flesh wars against our new spiritual nature. We were looking at Galatians earlier. If you turn to Galatians chapter 5, in the Sunday class, we were looking at Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. The Apostle Paul writes there, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. You see, beloved, there's a conflict in the believer, the, the flesh and the spirit. And Paul writes in verse 17 of that chapter, For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and, and these things are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. And Paul writes in Romans 7, verse 22, well, I do delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my body. And so let's take a look at this psalm in, in this light for just a, a few moments, looking at the experience of our Lord's body, his bride. Now, as far as I know, I don't have any physical enemies. I mean, as far as I know, I, I don't know of anyone who's plotting my death or, for that matter, planning to murder me. Uh, not, not, that, not that I know of. And if there is, uh, I don't want to know about it. I mean, um, but, but as far as I know, I don't have anybody trying to take my life or anybody trying to do me bodily harm or rob me. But you know something? I, I do have enemies. And chief among them is old me, myself, and I. You see, it's my own wicked sinful heart. That's my enemy. And it's still yet deceitful and desperately wicked and full of wicked, wicked pride and iniquity. Uh, we we're talking about this in the Sunday class. Uh, when you hear a brother or a sister cry out, Lord, if I'm not saved, uh, save me now. That's, that's not idle, trite prayer. That's someone who knows by God's undeserved grace. When Jeremiah writes in 17 verse 9 that the heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things, that's not just, that's my heart. That's my heart on the page. My heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. I, I don't know the depths it would go to, but I pray for God's mercy and grace and, and uh, Lord, if I'm not saved now, save me now. Behold me in the mercy, mercies that are found only in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Behold me in your beloved, well-pleasing Son. Uh, I don't want to be found in my mess. I don't want to be found in my life. I want to be found in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. We, we heard that at the conference, didn't we? Our brother was quoting the Apostle Paul. And what did the Apostle Paul say? He said, I count all things dung. Refuse, garbage. How, how did that happen to Paul? The father put this man, Saul of Tarsus, in the light and the beauties and the excellencies of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the light of Christ, in mercy and grace, that brother, our dear brother, <laughs> Saul of Tarsus, isn't it amazing? <laughs> this Jewish terrorist who wasted the church and yet is now a trophy of God's grace. He knew that if he was going to be saved, that he must be found in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ alone. Uh, in Philippians, why don't we turn there and look there. In Philippians chapter 3, I'm so thankful for these testimonies that the Holy Spirit has preserved for us in His Word, in God's Word. It says here in Philippians Chapter 3, I'll begin reading there in verse 7. 
And this is the Apostle Paul. He just gave a long laundry list of things that he thought commended himself to the grace of God. You know, he says in verse 5, you know, I've circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that perfect, spotless righteousness of God's Son, the, right, the righteousness which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. The Apostle Paul knew the standard. The standard of God's righteousness is perfect righteousness. How good do you have to be to get into heaven? As good as God. How righteous do you have to be a man? to be accepted before the Father as righteous as God in the flesh. And you and I don't have that. And Paul knew that. And if you know that this morning, you can enter into feelingly with what our brother is saying. Lord, save me. I do not want to be found in my righteousness. I do not want to be found in the filthy rags of my righteousnesses. God, have mercy on me. Hide me in your son. Let me find refuge in him and him alone. And, uh, oh, if uh, we could have some more real sinners in this auditorium, wouldn't that be wonderful? <laughs> wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be glorious to see God working in our midst in power and grace and showing another worm like yourself where salvation is to be found and it's found only in God's Son? What, what precious blood, what precious blood that washes us throughly and completely of all our sins. And what do we do with our iniquities? Oh, beloved, we have his righteousness. Complete justification, complete sanctification through the doing and dying of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in this uh, portion here of Psalm 40, 140, what I'd like to do is look here at this uh, testimony of the bride of Christ, the, the, the believer. Now, the, the self-righteous man doesn't have any problems with his heart. The self-righteous man doesn't have any problems with his sin. He doesn't have a sin problem. And if, and if he thinks he has a problem, it's just one thing. He does not yet as know that he is sin. That, that, that he is sin. It's not merely that he sinned, but that, that he sins because he is a sinner. I mean, the self-righteous man can't relate to our brother Paul, that sinner saved by God's grace. But those who are taught of God know something of their own wretched nature and something of the holiness of God. And you know, if, if you don't know anything about your sin, you'll never seek a Savior. If you don't know anything about the iniquities of your good works, you'll never seek for the perfect righteousness that's only to be found in Christ. Now, with that being said, by way of introduction, let's look at verse 1 again. Psalm 140, verse 1. Deliver me, O Lord. My friend, deliverance has to come from the Lord. As a matter of fact, he's called in Scripture the Deliverer, the Redeemer who shall deliver. Deliver me, O Lord, from the evil man. Preserve me from the violent man. Deliver me, Lord, from my wicked self and preserve me from the evil man that I yet am. Can you not identify with what the Apostle Paul and what our brother David is saying? Indeed, when... when the apostle says, oh, wretched man that I am. Or as Job said, Job said this, and this is after God puts him into the dust. Job said, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Therefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. 
See, we cannot see what we are unless God is pleased to put us into the light of Christ. The only hope we have to be delivered from our sin and preserved by God's grace is in the Lord Jesus Christ himself. For he came for this very purpose, to set us free from the bondage, dominion, and captivity of sin. He said, I've come to set the captives free. And so we can be assured of this, those who are delivered by the Lord Jesus Christ, by his blood and by his righteousness, will be preserved by his power. And those who are delivered by the Lord, he's not going to leave us alone. He will preserve us by his power. In fact, we read in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, how that we're kept by the power of God. And he's delivered us from the power of darkness, beloved, and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Now look at verse 2. We see here a further description of my sinful self. Those enemies of me, myself, and I, which imagine mischiefs in their heart continually are they gathered together for war. And look at those two words, imagine mischiefs. And then the word continually. Continually they are gathered together for war. You see, the imagination of, the, of my heart, they war together against me, my mis mischievous heart, and out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh, the mischievous, wicked heart of my vile nature. They're continually gathering together to rage war against my new spiritual nature that I have in Christ. Remember uh, Genesis chapter 6, verse 5? In Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, it says there, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. Psalm 140, verse 3. They have sharpened their tongues like a serpent. Adder's poison, snake poison, is under their lips. And Paul uses this in Romans chapter 3, where he speaks of how there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after God. For we all have this venom of sin in this flesh. And beloved, that's all this flesh can produce. And that's sin. We read in John chapter 6, our Lord declaring there in verse 63, it is the spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. Well, how come it doesn't profit? Well, it's because it's sinful. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and, and that's all it will ever be capable of being. Just nothing. The flesh profiteth nothing. What does the flesh produce? Nothing but sin. Indeed, man at his best state is altogether vanity. Keep me, O Lord. Keep me from the hands of the wicked. Preserve me from the violent man, this violent, wicked man that I am, who have purpose to overthrow my goings. You see, beloved, our only hope, help, and happiness is for the Lord to keep us and preserve us. I love that uh, portion in Psalm 23. It begins there. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And then it concludes with surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And so, Lord, keep us, preserve us. We read in Psalm 17, David crying out, Lord, keep me as the apple of the eye. Hide me. Guard me, watch over me, protect me under the shadow of thy wings. You know, when we pray, Lord, deliver us from this evil, wicked world. We especially pray, deliver me, Lord, from the evil of my own heart. Don't leave me to myself. Don't leave us to our own sinful selves, which purposes to overthrow us and to cast us down. We say with that man whose boy was sick, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Look at verse five. The proud have hid a snare for me and cords. They have spread a net by the wayside. They have set gins for me. The proud 
we read in Proverbs 16, it says, Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. There's nothing more harmful to a believer than the pride of self-righteousness. And there's nothing more strongly condemned by the Lord than pride. Remember that publican? He prayed, Lord, I thank you. I'm not like other men. And the Lord said that that man, he went down to his house condemned. Condemned and left alone to his religious, sinful, self-righteous pride. You see, pride will keep us from trusting Christ. And that wicked pride will cause us to despise others. And pride will cause us to miss the Lord Jesus Christ. Pride will cause us to miss faith. Because pride will cause us to go about to establish a righteousness of our own. Lord, keep me from being full of pride. May the Lord, beloved, keep you from being full of pride. Keep us from being proud of race, proud of face, proud of place. And the deadliest of them all, to be proud of grace. Lord, keep us humble before you. And yet we have all this, this no good thing in this body of death. This, this Adam nature full of religious sinful pride. You see our problem? No wonder David cries, Lord, deliver me. Lord, preserve me. Look what he says in verse 6. Now realizing all the enemies we have within, verse 6, I said unto the Lord, Thou art my God. Hear the voice of my supplications, O Lord. Thou art my God. Hear the voice of my supplications, O Lord. I said unto the Lord, Thou art my God. Hear the voice of my supplications. Beloved, let us ever make this our prayer. Verse 6 down through to verse 11. When the Lord taught His disciples how to pray, He taught us to pray, Deliver us from evil. And then again in His high priestly prayer in John 17, the Lord prays for us and He says, Father, keep them from evil. Now as far as I know, unless I'm totally ignorant in the grand scheme and scope of things, I don't really have any problems with the devil attacking me as, as far as I know. In fact, isn't it amazing when some religious man ends up making a great disaster of his profession and he turns around and blames it on the devil? Well, more than likely, it's not the devil that's his problem. Rather, more than likely, it's his own wicked heart. And so as far as I know, I don't have any problems with Satan attacking me for the Lord has dealt with him. But the problem I find is my in my own wicked self, in my own wicked thoughts, and my own wicked heart. Again, verse 6. I said unto the Lord, Thou art my God. Hear the voice of my supplications, O Lord. Now here's our only recourse. I said unto the Lord, You know my heart. You know my case. You know how desperate I need you. Lord, to whom else shall we go? You see, beloved, our only recourse, our only remedy for deliverance and help from our yet sinful condition is the Lord. And we read in verse 6 what our brother Timothy Thomas said to the Lord Jesus Christ, do we not? Thou art the Lord, you are my Lord and my God and my Savior. David says in Psalm 23, and it bears repeating, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And verse 6, again, in our portion in Psalm 140, I said unto the Lord, Thou art my God, hear the voice of my supplications, O Lord. Verse 7, O God, the Lord, the strength of my salvation. O God, the Lord, the strength of my salvation. Now that's our hope, beloved. He's the strength of our salvation, my salvation. Thou hast covered my head in the day of battle. He's my salvation. He's covered our head. He's not left us defenseless in this warfare. And in 1 Timothy, we find these words. The Apostle Paul, writing to young Timothy, he writes there, Fight the good fight of faith. We read in Ephesians chapter 6, and we read there about taking and putting on the whole armor of God. And then he says, 
this. Take the helmet of us of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And then if we look, turn with me, we'll, we'll look at 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians. The Apostle Paul writes there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 8. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet the hope of salvation. Verse 9. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, he's the author and finisher of our faith, beloved. He's the Alpha and Omega of our salvation. Thou art my salvation. Thou hast covered my head. Thou hast covered my head. You see, beloved, he's not left us defenseless. He's covered us. He's given us a helmet of salvation. He's given us the sword, this word of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And now look to uh, verse 8. Psalm 140, verse 8. Grant not, O Lord, the desires of the wicked, further not his wicked device, lest they exalt themselves. Lord, don't leave me to myself. Grant not the desires of my wicked heart, further not my wicked thoughts, lest I be exalted in religious pride and unbelief. Lord, grant it not. Grant it not. Look, look at verse 9. As for the head of those that compass me about, let the mischief of their own lips cover them. Let burning coals fall upon them. Let them be cast into the fire, into the deep pits that they rise not again. Let not an evil speaker be established in the earth. Evil shall hunt the violent man to overthrow him. Lord, restrain my wicked thoughts. Lord, restrain my wicked actions. Lord, restrain my wicked deeds. Let them be destroyed. That's what the sinner is praying here. Let them be destroyed. Root them all out, all of them, and burn them up. Cast them into the deep pit. Cast them into the fire. Every thought and imagination contrary to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every thought and every imagination contrary to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let it be burned up. Let it be cast into the pit. Let them be cast into the deep pits, never to be brought forth again. Lord, restrain me. Keep me. Let the evil speaker and the violent man be overthrown. That wicked old Adam nature. I want him crucified. I want him put down. And one day he will be, beloved, fully, finally, and completely when he's put into the ground to molder into dust. Let the evil speaker, the violent man, be overthrown, cast down, and not established in our heart and in our soul. Let not the evil speaker be established in the earth. Look what it says in Psalm 141, verse 3. Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. How many times have we said something and you thought later, Oh, how I'd wished I'd not say, said that. I wish I would have not uttered a syllable. I would let not the evil speaker be established in the earth. And in effect, that's the same thing that the Apostle Paul is writing about, where he speaks about putting off the old man with his deeds and crucifying the flesh. It seems much the same thing as when Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4, in verse 21, he says there, if so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. You see the parallel? And then it, he continues in that chapter, verse 23, And be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and True holiness. I love that. <laughs> not not pretended self-righteousness, but beloved, the true holiness of Christ. 
Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Don't give him a foothold. Put off the old man with his deeds. Starve him out. Now look at verse 12 and 13. 140. Psalm 140, verse 12. I know that the Lord will deliver me, keep me, and will maintain the cause of the afflicted. God, beloved, our Lord and God, Almighty God, God which hath begun a good work in you, will perform it. He'll perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. You see, beloved, we need not despair. We need not despair. Even though there's a daily battle warring, the, the new nature against the old nature this, of this fallen, wicked flesh against the, against the spirit. And there's a battle raging between the flesh and the spirit all the time, every moment. Even so, beloved, we need not despair, for I know that the Lord will maintain the cause of the afflicted. And we are afflicted, are we not? And he will maintain the cause of the right, those made right in Christ, the afflicted and poor. How many times have we seen that statement throughout Scripture? I am poor and needy. And we were thinking about that in the conference. You know, uh, you've heard the expression, you know, I, I don't have to be here. I get to be here. But it's good to be reminded. Uh, in fact, uh, it's almost as if no one needs to remind us. <laughs> I need to be here. I need to hear the gospel. I need to hear someone tell this body of death to take its eyes off itself and have it fixed on God's Son. To not look for a work to be performed in this body of death, but to look to the work that was finished in the body of God's Son. What a wonderful, wonderful Savior we have. He is called Jesus. How come? Because the translation of Jesus is salvation is of Jehovah. <laughs> salvation is of the Lord. We call him Jesus because he shall save his people from their sins. And just all through the scriptures, all these these words of comfort and cheer to hear. Uh, where does it say? Is it is it uh, Isaiah forty two? Take a look at a few passages with me, beloved, just for a moment. We read in Isaiah chapter forty two. Verse 21. It says there in verse 21, The Lord is well pleased. Our Heavenly Father is well pleased with, for His righteousness sake. The Father is well pleased in His Son. And why is that? For He will magnify the law and make it honorable. Beloved, to go to heaven, we must keep the law. That's right, we must keep the law perfectly. And beloved, he did so on our behalf. <laughs> perfectly, every jot and tittle of it. We're looking to the Lord Jesus Christ for all our justification and all our sanctification. He kept the law. He established the law. He made it honorable on behalf of sinners like you and me, on behalf of his people. We're, we're not worshiping a corrupt God. He's both just and justifier of them that believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul tells us how our Heavenly Father made His well-pleasing darling Son to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. He is our righteousness. He is the standard. And beloved, by His grace, He is made to be our righteousness. Let's look at another portion. It says there in chapter 42. Again, we're just looking at this Isaiah chapter 42. Look what it says in verse 4. Doesn't that cheer your heart? <laughs> if you're trusting the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, if you're believing on God's well-pleasing Son, you're, you're trusting the Savior He sent into the world to save sinners. What does that mean? It means he shall not fail. 
It says in verse 4, He shall not fail nor be discouraged till he have set judgment, until he have set righteousness in the earth, in the nations, in the isles, the nations, the Gentiles shall wait for his law. We're looking to Christ alone for our righteousness, beloved. And then in, in Psalm 1, look over there with me. Look at this blessed description of our Lord. And with all uh, I mean, with with within view, what what uh, all all of us men, most of us, we we have uh, projects around the house, and we do this, we do that, and uh, if we're honest, uh, even if we're not honest, our wives will be honest about it. <laughs> um, this does not describe me, nor does does it describe you, but it does describe our Lord and God Jesus Christ. It says there, in the latter part of Psalm one verse three. <laughs> Whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. He's a sovereign, successful Savior. What a comfort, what a cheer to take our eyes off of our sorry selves and have them fixed on God's well-pleasing Son. Um, And if memory serves, let's look at another portion of, of Isaiah, if I'm not mistaken. Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3. Thou, O God, will keep him in perfect peace. And uh, it's uh, peace, peace. (laughs) Perfect peace. Whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. Beloved, here's our only refuge our only hope. The Lord will maintain and sustain us in all of our infirmities. Uh, remember what we read in Romans chapter 7? We, we've repeated it a few times. Let's repeat it again. The Apostle Paul says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I'm dragging around this old sinful carcass. Who shall deliver me? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, beloved, with his stripes we're healed. And when the Lord is pleased to make us new creatures in Christ Jesus, that old Adam nature, make no mistake about this, it, that old Adam nature is not eradicated. That old sinful Adam nature is not eradicated or destroyed, but thank God it's subdued. It's subdued. And His glory becomes our cause. The glory of the gospel becomes our, our delight. When David was just a young shepherd boy, when Israel was facing off the Philistines and Goliath the giant and his older brothers accused David, why did you leave those sheep out there without a shepherd? What are you doing down here, you disobedient, disobedient boy? You just came down here to see what's going on. But here's the thing. David came down there to execute the enemy. And he said these words to his older brothers. First Samuel 17, verse 29. What have I now done? Is there not a cause? You see, David's cause was the same as God's cause, the glory of God. And many of you know the the outcome of that story. David said to that enemy, This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand. And David took that little shepherd's sling with a smooth stone, and he slew the giant, and he fell down dead. Is there not a cause? You see, David's cause was the same as God's cause, his glory. And I know that the Lord will maintain the cause of the afflicted. If our cause is His glory, He will maintain us and He will surely bless us. It brings to mind a verse in Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, it says there, verse 18, and this was, and is and continues to be my prayer that at every service that our Lord and God Jesus Christ would get all the glory and all the preeminence. It says here, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. 
Now back to our portion. Verse 13 of 140. Surely the righteous shall give thanks unto thy name. Surely the righteous shall give thanks unto thy name. Now, who are the righteous? Now, none of us are righteous and of ourselves. None of us are righteous and of ourselves. But rather, the only righteousness we have is in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Lord, our righteousness. And surely the righteous shall give thanks unto the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember Psalm 92, where it says, It's a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord imputeth righteousness without works. David wrote that in Psalm 32, and Paul quotes it in Romans 4. Believers do give thanks unto his name in everything. Indeed, we, we give thanks in everything, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. And that we are beloved, righteous by his doing and dying. The Lord made us. He made us new creatures in Christ. Although we know well that he's all our righteousness, not, not some of our righteousness. I mean, if, if we were here this morning and we thought that our righteousness was 99.99999% dependent upon the Lord Jesus Christ, well, that wouldn't give me any hope at all. He's all of our righteousness, beloved, 100% of it. He's 100% of our pardon and he's 100% of our righteousness. I mean, um, I trust you know already by his grace, beloved, who, who made you to differ? Who, who made you to differ from one another? He made us to differ by his grace and his grace alone. And then notice the last part of verse 13. The upright, the upright shall dwell in thy presence. Those made upright in Christ shall dwell in his presence. You see, in Adam, we're fallen. And so we have to be uprighted. And we can't upright ourselves because we're dead in sin. And so the Lord must upright us. And the upright shall dwell in his presence forevermore because the Lord says, I'll never leave them, nor will I forsake them. We read in Psalm 27, Psalm 27, verse 4. It says there, One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion, and the secret of, of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me up upon a rock, and now shall mine head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. We see here a, a portion of Scripture much like what we read in Romans chapter 7. And that should not surprise us, for David and Paul are our brothers in Christ. And we see here the experience of a sinner saved by his grace. I pray that's your experience this morning. You see, we're all sinners. That's all we are. True sinners never graduate from being sinners. If you do, you're in, you're in trouble. Because that's nothing but pride. You know, I, I once wasn't a sinner, but now by God's grace, that's what you and I are. That's what I am. Just a sinner saved by God's glorious, undeserved grace, only a sinner. I used to be a five-point Reformed Calvinist, <laughs> but now I'm a sinner undeservedly saved by God's grace. Just a sinner saved by God's grace. I know two things. Undeservedly, I know two things by God's grace. I'm a great sinner, and he's a greater Savior. <laughs> now, to conclude, I'd like to read to you a portion of Scripture. Now, we've read a few of these verses, but it'll be good for us. Indeed, it will be safe for us to read them again. Uh, turn with me to Romans chapter 7. And then we'll begin reading there in verse 7. 
What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin but by the law. For I had I not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. For without the law, sin was dead. For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. And the commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it slew me. Wherefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just and good. Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. But sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me, by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For that, for what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members, in, in, my, in my body, where no good thing dwells. Verse 24. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. And in Romans 8, verse 1, the Apostle Paul writes, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Amen.